Father, we come to you this morning having nothing to offer, but recognizing your grace to us and the graciousness and kindness with which you treat us every day. We offer you nothing and you offer us everything and we are thankful for what we have in Christ. Lord, we pray that our discussion today would lead to fruit in our own lives, that we would be drawn closer to Jesus, to love Him more, to, to have a zealous desire to image Him and reflect Him rightly in a fallen world. I pray that not only thankfulness would drive us, but a, but a respect and reverence for who You are would also drive us to image Christ rightly. Father, I pray that that wouldn't be just in word, but it would be in deed, that we would see transformation in each other and be able to display that to the world around us because of what your Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. Paul commands us to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We pray that we do that this morning as we study your word. In Christ's name, amen. We are looking at Acts 19, working through uh, this chapter, this time of Paul in Ephesus. Last time we talked about crazy town, some incredible miracles that were going on in Ephesus. God was working through Paul to do some pretty amazing things um, that involved hankies and aprons, but not in the false way. Uh, it was actually uh, true stuff. He wasn't selling them. Uh, but God was doing things through, through him. And we talked about that that was sort of an accommodation for the culture of Ephesus at the time. What was it about the culture of Ephesus that we discussed last time that, that, that drew out the, the things that were going on, that, that, that were in relief to what, the miracles that were going on? What, what kind of town was Ephesus from a religious standpoint? Do you remember? Little everything, very much a... Well, they had a temple there, right? The Temple of Artemis. It was a very cult-centered town. And cult centers oftentimes involve a lot of mystical stuff. And so um, God is working through Paul with these miracles. And, and, um, and he was doing it in such a way that it could only be explained by divine power. And this is... Pretty amazing stuff that he was doing. I mean, you take a handkerchief off a guy who was sweating in the street and put it on somebody who's crippled, and they get up, they're healed, or and he's and he's casting out demons in the name of Jesus uh, in in the town, and they're seeing this very obvious, um, very obvious uh, power that's being that's being displayed there. But for Ephesus, the religious culture there, there's there's this undercurrent of economic benefit that happens with the the natural city the mystical stuff that's going on there there's a there's a a trade that's there of magicians and charlatans that make their money off of parlor tricks incantations and things like that and yet here comes Paul real stuff's going on right stuff you can see stuff that's incredible and so He's simply being used to heal people and cast out demons in the name of Jesus. There's no smoke and mirrors. 
and it's a clear and certain display of power. Now, Paul's miracles, though, the things that God was doing through him, affect some people positively, but it also has an effect on others uh, in a way that's... Well, let's just, let's just read and see. Starting in verse 11, chapter 19. Um, I'm sorry, in verse 13. Well, we'll we'll pick up in 11 because that's from last week. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And let's stop there. That's embarrassing. (laughs) Paul's doing this incredible stuff the city knows about it and the magicians know about it and so you have uh, this impact on the wrong type of people Um, we've seen this kind of imitation before right with Simon Magus Magnus Magus I think it's Magus do you remember that whole scenario Philip was God was moving through Philip he's doing a bunch of miracles and stuff and this guy comes up to him and 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 believes, quote-unquote. I won't scratch the ear this time. He believes. And when Peter comes and things are happening with Peter, remember what Simon did? He has to purchase the trick. He wanted to purchase the trick. And what was, he, what was the deal there? Well, at this time, there were, magicians were everywhere. They were omnipresent in the culture. And what they had uh, as, as part of their trade was these secret incantation books that they would purchase and buy, and they'd hold on to these things, and they'd keep them secret, keep them safe. And then they would, when somebody purchased their services, they would go to them and they'd read these incantations over the person, particular to the type of thing that it was. And the weirder it was, the more foreign it was, the more powerful it was in the culture. And so you have these itinerant Jewish magicians. What does itinerant mean? They're wanderers. They travel around, right? They're they're wandering and they're Jewish magicians, which is an odd thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We went through Leviticus. What does the law of God say about this kind of stuff? There are some rocks headed your way doing this kind of stuff, right? And yet here we have these Jewish itinerant traveling uh, magicians who were revered at the time because they used really strange terms. They used terms like Eo, which was a form of Yahweh. They they, uh, called for uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of... Well, who are these guys? If you're Greek and Roman, you don't know this stuff. It's very foreign. It must be very powerful. And so you have this kind of stuff going on. And what they would do is they'd find the weirdest religion that, was, that would impress the, the audience. And they'd just kind of throw in the kitchen sink on their incantations and use terms borrowed from all... Syncret, syncretistic, I guess, is, would be the 
term. So they're, they're doing this kind of stuff. And they're Jewish people doing this kind of stuff to make money off of the ignorance and superstition of the people. When I read this uh, earlier this week, the title I have for this section is Sons and Their Skivvies. <laughs> so this guy, these guys, are identified by Luke as the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief high priest. What's interesting about that is, ain't no high priest named Sceva. Josephus lists them all up to the, second, the destruction of the second temple. There were no chief high priests named Sceva. And so what's going on here, Luke is... If he'd had quotation marks in Greek, he'd scratch the air with this. The seven sons of Sceva, the chief high priest. Because this is how they build themselves out. It gives them street cred to say, we're sons of the chief high priest of the Jews. Right? No, they aren't. They're lying. It's a false thing. It's a way to market themselves as being really powerful Jewish magicians. Um... All right, so claiming to be in the lineage of Jewish high priests added to the market value for what they were doing. Some of the magical papyri that, that has been preserved and found, I found this really fascinating. That's why I'm going on this little rant. Some of the magical papyri that was found uh, archaeologically has been preserved actually in museums across the world. And, and one of them, it, it, they contain, again, a lot of gibberish invoking the names of foreign gods and and uh, the more unfamiliar, the more powerful it's believed to be. The one in Paris, there's some in Paris, actually. There's a collection of, of this stuff in, 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 in Paris, and it has various Old Testament terms throughout it, along with other religious terms. But the stuff that they have, again, uh, for example, it's going to sound exotic to Greeks and Romans. One spell reads, I abjure thee by Jesus, the God of the Hebrews. Uh, another from the same script says, Hail God of Abraham, Hail God of Isaac, Hail God of Jacob, Jesus Christus, Holy Spirit, Son of the Father. This is the language that they're using. Falsely. And so this is a throw in the kitchen sink kind of stuff. Um, the Jesus spell that Paul was using seemed to work. So let's give it a whirl, Right? That's, that's where they're going to, if it works for us, we could really, we could market this. How did that go? How, how'd that work for you? It backfires, doesn't it? What does this evil spirit say to them? I don't know you. Jesus I know. Paul I recognize, is the way the ESV translates it. Two Greek terms there, by the way. Jesus I gnosko, which is to know. Paul I epistemi, which means I recognize, and some translations may have I, I uh, respect. But who are you? Um, when scriptures recorded the words of demons as, as they were being cast out by Jesus, you often see a confession of Jesus' power. Here it recognizes the authority of Paul in Christ, but it yields no turf to these frauds. How are these guys left after this encounter? What, what happened to them? Naked and wounded. Naked and wounded. 
Now, if you're Jewish, how do you feel about being naked in public? I mean, just anybody in general, probably not a, well, most people in general is probably not a good thing. But for a Jewish man, especially, well, for a Jewish person, period, that's humiliating. You remember that story where uh, David sends, uh, who was it? Maybe, yeah. One of the kings sends a a group, I think it was David, sends a, a group of men to another king as an emissary you know, wanting to purchase cedar or something from him or whatever, and it's the son of a former friend of his, and the son dishonors David by cutting his messenger's uh, robes at the waist level. So they're walking around, basically, they, their clothes do not cover themselves. And, and they shave their beards, which is another sign of humiliation. Nakedness to a Jewish person is extremely humiliating. And that's where these guys are left. Beaten, broken, humiliated in public. This is the result of their false profession of the name of Jesus. Why didn't it work? Why not? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What's significant here? Yeah. Yes, because the Holy Spirit, as third part of the Trinity, it is the very power of God and God's authority. God working through us, working through Paul, they don't have the Holy Spirit, so they don't have God's authority. So that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, being resident in a believer, living in a believer, right? That's the. It's His work. Through Paul, that that um, is is effective for what he's doing, and it's God doing it on God's terms, on God's time. How are these guys using the name of Jesus? For personal gain. For personal gain, blasphemy. I agree with that. It's blasphemous how they're doing it. It's a genie in a bottle. It's my Jesus plastic Jesus game. You know, tell me my future. That's how they're using this, and the way they're doing it is. I'll control God through this action. Yeah. Yes, I have actually read um, about the these uh, Jewish magicians. I uh, forgot what they were called, um, but they were a, a sect came out of Judaism. What they believe is that they can invoke the same power of God by using His words. They just and the way they describe like Genesis will be. Uh, God used these powerful words to cause things to come to existence. That was not really God's power. It's God invoking magical words. So, so God uses magic. Is that the kind of the the idea yeah, that they theology? So they were right. able to use the same magic. That's very foreign to us, isn't it? That we could use certain words as vehicles of faith to alter our reality. <laughs> That's so fall. I mean. <laughs> Who would do that today? We know so much better now, don't we? Um, So they're left naked and beaten. And this is a total humiliation in their false use of the name of Christ. What do we pull from this? Christianity has nothing to do with magic, right? There's no incantation in the Old Testament that lets us create a reality around us. We submit to the will of God. He is the one that dictates reality. 
The name of Jesus is not an incantation to be wielded for us to control the environment and, and circumstances. The Holy Spirit works through those who, like Paul, confess Him and are committed to Him. They're committed to His kingdom, not theirs. Right? They're, they're committed to what God wants to do, not their own nest. So we see a false use of the name of Christ that had no power. And next, let's look at transformation that comes from power that's real. Look at verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What's the effect of this humiliation of these Jewish charlatans? God is glorified. How? Believers are, are like, oh my gosh. You know, these, these guys we thought were with us and they're not. Obviously, they're not. So all of this stuff that we're doing is extra. Like, we need to get rid of it. The, the, the people's discernment is increased. And they okay. understand who is right and who is not. Who is of God and who is not of God. Okay, so so conviction falls, discernment is increased. And through that, repentance and belief. Repentance and belief increase. So we see generally, both Jews and Greeks learn of this, right? And the whole city, all the residents, have, what does Luke characterize it? They have what? Just general good feelings toward Jesus because everybody's so nice. Fear. It's a fear of God. A fear of God falls on the city. And even more deeply, it falls on the church. Right? Real fear of who God is and what He's done and who I am before Him falls on the church. How do we know that? They turned and they burn their stuff. Does that bother you? These guys are already Christians. Why hadn't they done this at the beginning? What are we seeing here? We're seeing that when you come to Jesus, you still got crud. Right? There's still within us a Jesus and. And when the fear of God falls on believers, I've got, I need, to, I need to get rid of this. That's true transformation from true power. Right? What, did it, what are they doing here with this stuff? It, it, he mentioned specifically the magical art stuff, but really he's talking about there's confession and repentance going on with a whole bunch of other stuff. He doesn't get into the details, but he's playing off of the magical element that we just read with the, with the sons and their skivvies. What, what is it that is going on here? There's a public repentance. I've been clinging to this 
and Christ. I need to repent of this. Publicly, they're doing it. They get radical rather than selling it on eBay. Somebody else. I mean, they're obviously. Wouldn't that be F Bay? Ephesus Bay? Sorry. Stuff that's valuable, though, but they basically follow the if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Right. Burn it. There's. So it costs them to do it. She said it's a lot of money. It's it's a lot of money because. The drachma was a day's wage. It's a, a nearly 137 years worth of wages. That's a lot of time and a lot of money. Uh, I think it calculated in today's amount would be $35,000, which just tells you just how crazy our inflation is, you know, just, because that's a lot of money then. 35 is not chump change, but. Then it's a lot of day wages, right? It's 137 years of wages. Yeah. It's a career change. And it's a career change. It costs them money to do it. It costs them pride to do it. And by doing this, they're cutting ties with these magical arts. Because one of the things, keep it secret, keep it safe. The reason that's important is once the thing is revealed and put out there, it loses its power. By doing this, not only the burning, but by revealing it, displaying it in the culture, the context of the time, it loses its power. I can't go back to that now. I absolutely cannot go back to that. It won't work anymore in the, in the mindset of the day. Yeah, I think what's, what's also interesting is it says that they, they were confessing hmm. and divulging their, their practices. So, you know, as a, as a believer... We have to constantly confess, yeah. confess our sinfulness to, to one another. You know, whether that's publicly in the church or whether that's you know privately, you know, with with an accountability partner mm-hmm. or something. But we need to confess our sins. Right. It's important. It to is confess because you know James says <clears throat> that we should confess our sins to one another. It's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Mm-hmm. It's John, first John, but yes, same, same, same area. Same area. Same, yeah, the end or in the New Testament. So, you know, it's it's important for us to apply what they're doing, right, to ourselves. But we don't do magical arts. We don't do magical arts, but we do have other sins. We do have other crap. Yes, we do. We have high places. We do have some high places. That's true. Yes. I just was thinking about how you were saying they would buy the books, which mm-hmm. were kind of like the secrets and, you know, the tricks to the trade, you mm-hmm. know, okay, well, this is how the illusion's done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and by divulging all of the secrets, they literally couldn't do that trick anymore because everybody would know, mm-hmm. oh, well, he's just, you know, doing that. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of interesting because I think a lot of times Christians and the church are Christians scratch the air Christians, yeah, yeah. they um, kind of go by what y'all were talking about with saying certain words, you know, just say the sinner's prayer, and then you're saved, and you can kind of keep living how you're living. That's not much different from what they're doing, and channeling certain words, and using God's power, being in control of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can just say this, and then God has to save me, mm-hmm. and... Um, and it's it's kind of cool. It's kind of interesting because these people that were doing the um, magic, 
they hadn't been beaten and naked yet. Like, mm-hmm. they hadn't really lost anything from doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's easy when we have a sin that is hurting us and people know about it or it's really, like, harming our lifestyle. It's easy to pray and confess and repent. But, I mean, I know I do. A lot of us have sins that in our life and um, that are easy and they're still getting us by and mm-hmm. they're more like less known and less obvious and they're just kind of working for us they're acceptable give, yeah we don't need to give that up because it's still working even though like in jesus it would be better but that's more work and this is just kind of getting me by for now mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah yeah that's a good very good point uh there there are acceptable sins that we cling to and what and and they could have kept it secret here they could have kept it in the closet under their leather you know whatever and it would have been nobody would have known the difference is the fear of God fell on them this wasn't a general warm fuzzy feeling the fear of a God who sees all who knows all who who holds us accountable for what we do in secret he makes it known it will be made known the fear of that fell on the church we think of the fear of God falling on unbelievers and driving them to the altar after the third time we sing just as I am this falls on the church what would we confess if the fear of God actually fell on us what would that look like um, anyway, as the name of Jesus is shown to be powerful outside, the transformative power of Christ is shown to be powerful inside. Sanctification takes place, and it costs them. It costs them in pride, it costs them in money, it costs them in cutting ties to what they had before and what they had clung to. Uh, before in addition to Christ. And in essence, they're displaying that they were no better than these Jewish charlatans. They were still combining Jesus and, right? They're still, I'll I'll, I'll use Jesus here, but I want to hang on to this thing to be able, if I need it in a pinch to help me form and shape my reality, I've got this thing. Verse 21 and 22, we'll just kind of round it out here. Um, Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent to Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And so I just wanted to kind of round this out. This introduces for us the last part of Acts, which is the long journey to Rome. Um, He finishes up in Ephesus. Here next next time, Lord will and the crick don't rise, we'll go through the riot that happened in Ephesus, the last story in Ephesus, and then Paul begins this journey toward Jerusalem first, and then on to Rome. Jerusalem, he doesn't mention this by Luke, uh, but we know from the letters that he's taking relief. There was a <laughs> there's a Hurricane Harvey in Jerusalem called persecution, and he's taking relief to Jerusalem from. Macedonia, the churches there take up an offering, uh, and he's trying to get that to Jerusalem to help them out. So that's that's where he's going, and then his his drive is on to Rome. 
uh, and we know from the end of Romans that it's, he, he really had an eye towards Spain. So that, that kind of rounds that out, and we'll begin uh, with the, the, the riot at Ephesus next time. I, I want to kind of keep pressing this issue we just talked about, though. Um, I, I was really struck this week, going through this, the, the distinction between false imagined transformation and real transformation. I mean, that's, that's really the distinction you see in this, these two uh, narratives. And so I, I started asking uh, questions, which is always dangerous. Do we cling to certain financial systems and plans to secure us from insecurity? Do, do, I, do, I, do I hang on to baby steps toward financial peace putting my faith in that, that I will now be secure from any kind of financial devastation in my life. Rather than, and I'm not, again, when I'm saying this, I'm not saying there's not wisdom in some of those principles. I don't, don't hear me say that. But is our faith in that, rather than understanding that God may bring financial hardships as a way to shape us, and that's kind of okay, because I'd rather look like Jesus than not, why am I pursuing this financial system to make much of my security or that the Word of God may increase? I mean, what's the motive behind that? Those are questions to ask. Um, is my being well-versed in Reformed theology the basis of my eternal security? Or is Jesus... If I'm trotting out the 1689 Confession, see, I'm going to heaven. That's not the basis. Do I know Christ? Am I known by Christ? Not can I spout off Reformed doctrine. Not do I have a lot of knowledge. Not can I quote a bunch of French theologians who, you know, write Baptist distinctive books. Is Jesus in me and growing me into his image. And can I see it? Can others see it? That has to be taken place. Real transformation versus imagined transformation. If imagined transformation seems to me to be spouting things off, and then living however you want to live. That's not real. That's a lie. Whatever secret knowledge you may have from reading theologians, it, we're not Gnostics. We have to be in Christ. So while this looks funny to us that they would have spells, they would have incantations, do we cling to... Uh, it, what's bugging me about this, and I'll just be honest, is this idea, I think, sometimes that falls on in, in reform circles or any kind of you know heady kind of stuff, is this idea of, well, if they just studied their Bible more, they'd know this stuff. Right? Far be it from us to ever have that attitude. Far be it from us to ever... If we believe 
that what we have received from Christ is grace and grace alone, who am I to ever look at somebody else and say, study your Bible more? Should they? Yes. I'm not saying it's a false statement, but what's the motive behind saying it? Well, I have studied my Bible. Also, how, how are you saying it as well? Right. Are you saying it in grace? Are you saying it in love? Or are you saying it in goodness? Right. Granted, I, I believe certain things because I'm convinced they're true. There's nothing wrong with that. But because I believe certain things, I know that I didn't come to that on my own. But for the grace of God, I would not be a Christian today. I'd be fishing this morning. Well, maybe not this morning. Well, probably not. It's kind of nice. I would be fishing or hunting or playing Minecraft with my son. I don't know. One of the things. If it's true, it should transform me. It should transform us. And there are things in our lives that we're clinging to not being transformed. Let it go. It goes back to the fig leaves. Yes. Yeah. It's just it's a more God, sophisticated... It's God's righteousness that closes. Right. And He does it. He did it. Yeah. We have more sophisticated fig leaves. The fabric's gotten more intricate. But it's the same thing. Yeah. Yes, uh, Rich Wallace once said, I always love his music, I believe what I believe, for it makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it's making me the very truth of God, not the mention of any man. And it's got to make us. It's got to be transforming us and if we're not pushing forward and part of that transformation I think is exactly what was said earlier confession to one another you can't look you're not going to be accountable <laughs> you're not going to do it on your own you've got to have somebody investing and pouring into your life calling you to account and you've got to be doing that for others that's part of knitting the body together as believers, our biggest struggle whenever we're in sin is not uh, so much of the sin. The problem that we have is believing the gospel. Yeah. If we truly believe the gospel, it will be different. And it doesn't mean that we won't sin, but it means that we will do whatever we can do to not sin. Right. Because we don't want to offend a holy and righteous God. Which is so counterintuitive because we're not holy. We're not righteous mm. in and of ourselves, but God still views us as righteous. Yeah. That makes no sense to us because we're not. Yeah. There is, yeah. But that's the that's that's the thing that whenever we struggle, whenever we whenever we fall into temptation, whenever our our biggest problem is not believing God. That's that's it. Yeah. God help our unbelief. Mm -hmm. you know, we must pray for Him to help us with our unbelief. Yeah. Um, because it's it's not always just easy to. To be 
always assured all the time. Right. It, it seems to me that it's, it's easier to craft arguments than it is to yield to the Spirit and have a transformed life. It's easier to, to talk the game, to talk about the Jesus in whom Paul preaches, than it is to search me, O oh God. If there be any wicked, oh wait. I can't get through the sentence, can you? I can't, I, immediately, I know what's there. But am I working on that? Am I, am, I, am I sacrificing that thing that I cling to on the altar of not my will but yours be done here? Jesus is enough here. Yeah. Yeah. First Corinthians says, No temptation has ever taken you that is not found in man. No temptation, God is faithful. And with the temptation, He will always provide the way of escape. You may be able to endure it. The way of escape is always, do you believe the gospel? Trust in him. In the midst of it. Yeah. That you may be able to endure it. It's not, endure it. it's not take it away. Right. It's not suddenly drop 100000 in the bank account whenever they're, you know, so that I'm not anxious all the time and, and, and not trusting God with it. It's endure it because of the gospel. Because Jesus is enough. Not Jesus and Jesus, good. period. That's that, but there, there's not just one thing though. There's, there's, so don't don't be surprised when you see old Christians still wrestling with things, still sacrificing things, still confessing things, still struggling through things. It's a lifelong process. Sanctification is a lifelong process. Don't we're none of us have arrived, none of us will arrive this side of heaven. I, I hope that there's increase. I trust that there will be a, a gradual increase. That's the whole point. Lord. But we're still struggling. Yeah. And we need to be humble about it. Recognizing that we stand before a holy God and it's I got nothing but what you said Jesus did for me. I got nothing. So, go ahead. I know all too many times, um, we, myself mainly, we always put it on other people to ask us, you know, Grant, how are you doing? And it's like I'm shifting the blame to other people. It's like, well, why hasn't any of our elders asked me how I'm doing recently? Yeah. No, it's my responsibility to seek out that, to seek out that accountability, right. to, to be vulnerable. Because if I'm not open about my struggles and where I am, how can, any, how can we have unity if we don't know each other? Right. And it's impossible to know each other unless we're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Right. And if we don't listen. And if we don't listen. And if we don't listen, yeah. So, the, the, just to close out here. The Christian life is one of putting off the old self, dumping the incantations, and putting, the, putting on the new self. It's driven by both a thankfulness for the grace of God and a healthy fear of the justice of God. Here's how Paul says it to the Ephesians. Uh, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And Ephesians 4.20 is where I'm starting. And that is not the way you learned Christ. He's talking about clinging to sensuality and impurity, the, the, the way that the hardened hearts of unbelievers were. That's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus... 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. They're lies. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. It's false. It's a lie. Jesus is greater than what we're trusting. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, I would put in here too, just a spirit of the mind is not just intellectual. There's also a renewal of emotion. We can't be robots. We're not, you know, stoics. Christ is also renewing our emotions. Um, all right. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness as opposed to deceitful desires. You see how he makes that comparison. That's the goal. That's the process. And there's a false picture of that. And there's a true picture of that. And you see that kind of in this, in this passage between these guys who are pulling together a bunch of stuff and trying to look powerful in the name of Jesus by using words versus true conviction, true fear of God, true quest for holiness through their confession, their repentance, and their belief in Jesus. Uh, let's pray. Father, who is sufficient for these things? It can be very frustrating sometimes when we actually stop and look at our own hearts and where we are in comparison to Christ and realizing that we have so far to go. But thanks be to God, we have Christ and His grace that covers our sin and that we can trust Him and His finished work while we work hard in our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works within us, trusting, hoping, praying that Your Spirit continues to work within us. Thank You that we've been told that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. We don't do it, but we work hard in it. And in the working, we display a progression of being more like Jesus a little by little every day. God, make it so. Give us hearts that crave your holiness, that fear your displeasure, and yet are comforted by the grace of Christ as an oil on a wound. Be with us as we go into the next service. May we receive a gracious word today from your Holy Spirit through the preaching of your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.